Welcome to the Road Home Podcast. My name's Jasmine and I'm the Housing Program Associate at the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, where it is our mission to end veteran homelessness. Join us here each week as we highlight new or innovative developments or housing practices that provide housing options for veterans exiting homelessness. We want to take this time to thank the Home Depot Foundation for sponsoring this podcast and for supporting veterans housing initiatives throughout the country. The Home Depot Foundation works to improve the homes and lives of U.S. veterans, train skilled tradespeople to fill the labor gap, and support communities impacted by natural disasters. Since 2011, the foundation has invested nearly $350 million in veteran causes and improved more than 47,000 veteran homes and facilities in 4,500 cities. For nearly a decade, the Home Depot Foundation has supported NCHV in its mission to increase housing opportunities for veterans and to combat veteran homelessness in America. We will be highlighting some of their work as we talk about various affordable housing developments throughout this series. If you would like to learn more about the Home Depot Foundation, visit homedepotfoundation.org or search Home Depot Foundation on social media. The theme for this episode is Workforce Housing for Veterans. Now, this week we're talking about a development which is so cool, it literally feels like what the future of housing should look like. The property is developed by Brighton Marine Health Center in partnership with Wynn Companies, and the community is 102 units, all of which have a preference for veterans. The residences at Brighton Marine is a $46 million development. It's the first of its kind to offer mixed income housing in Boston since World War II. Now on site, they provide homes to those with extremely low, low and middle incomes. The project also neighbors the Bright Marine Medical Campus and is located right along an MBTA Green Line subway route. We have a couple of topics to talk about today. First, we'll talk about financing and the project timeline along with their approval process and some of the elements that developers, the state and local departments um, consider when approving affordable housing developments. In this episode, we'll talk to Drew Colbert, the Senior Project Director at Wind Development, and we'll also be speaking to Crystal Cornegie, the Executive Director at Mass Housing. We have a lot to get into, so let's dive in. I'm Crystal Cornegie, the Executive Director at Mass Housing in in Boston, Massachusetts. Mass Housing is the state's affordable housing bank, and what we do is We lend money at um, below market competitive interest rates to developers of multifamily property who agree to keep the property, some portion of the property affordable at a particular level for a period of time. In addition, through our other lending partners, we do lending for first-time homebuyers across the Commonwealth. And I'm Drew Colbert. I'm a senior project director at Wind Development in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I primarily lead uh, numerous mixed-income housing projects in the city of Boston, surrounding communities, and across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So I I work very closely with um, Crystal and her team at Mass Housing uh, in, in leading a lot of these efforts. Um, 
wind companies uh, has been around for almost 50 years now. Uh, there's there's three primary um, groups. Uh, there's wind development, which I work for. Um, wind development's responsible for uh, taking development projects from concept through to conversion. Um, you know, so overseeing the permitting, uh, the application for competitive resources, um, putting uh, the construction team together, building the project, and then uh, and then converting on on the debt and financing. Um, we then have uh, Wynn Residential, uh, which is the one of the largest property management companies um, in the United States, uh, managing over 100,000 units. Um, we're also the largest affordable housing manager in the United States. Um, and so we manage both the, the Wynn-owned portfolio, but also uh, we do um, third-party management um, for clients. Um, and that portfolio stretches from Boston all the way uh, to California. Uh, and then the the last um, the last business group is called Win Military. Um, and for a client, uh, we manage um, several thousand, uh, tens of thousands of units of privately owned housing on military bases. Um, you know, so from uh, the Mid Atlantic all the way to the west coast to hawaii and to alaska um you know, is the is the geography for for wind military and and there's actually um that experience uh that led us to pursue the uh, competitive request for proposals that was issued uh by the brighton marine health center campus um in in creating what is now residences at brighton marine Okay, so I guess my first question would just be Brighton Marine, you guys are in a partnership for this development with them, but they owned the land already or they owned the buildings already and they put out a request for proposals for the space or how did y'all's partnership actually develop? That's right. So so Brighton Marine um, Health Center has, has been a, a staple uh, in the greater Boston area as, um, as a veteran service provider. Uh, they were the ones uh, who actually um, own the the underlying land. Uh, the, the the development actually executed a ground lease, um, and uh, it's it's a 99 year ground lease for for the project um, from uh, Bright Marine to Win and Bright Marine, which is the partnership. It's located on the famed Commonwealth Ave in Brighton's. Uh, in Boston's Brighton neighborhood. Um, it's 102 units, um, 100 of, 101 of which are, are new construction in a six-story uh, wood and concrete uh, frame structure uh, with underground parking. Um, and then one unit uh, is actually in a renovated um, existing two-story brick building uh, that was preserved as part of the, the redevelopment effort. Um, there's 11 studios, 47 one-beds, 33 two beds and 11 three bedroom units. Um, and the, the development serves a mix of incomes. 11% uh, are for households uh, earning uh, less than 30% of area median income. 58% uh, of the units are for, for low income households at 60% of AMI. 10% uh, of the units are for households earning 80% of area median income and 21% 
of the units are for households earning up to 120% of AMI. Um, there's uh, no supportive uh, you know, services on site, but we do have a services coordinator um, that's, that's full-time at the property. And their job is to refer residents um, either to the Brighton Marine Health Center, to the, the VA, um, or other regional resources, whether it's for job training or uh, employment or education. Um, and um, we're very proud that this development is 100% veterans preference. Uh, when Wynn responded to the competitive RFP, uh, Brighton Marine sought um, only 20% of the units be reserved for veterans, and, and it was part of our proposal that 100% of, uh, of these units be for veterans. We got involved in this project because um, we have a long history with wind companies, and um, we generally do projects together, and generally the more complicated they are, the more fun we have with them. <laughs> um, this project, because of its uniqueness in the sense of uh, that Drew was just describing in terms of 100% veterans preference, as well as the mix of incomes um, was particularly important to us. One of the things that Mass Housing did, which we'll talk about a little later, was to utilize some of its reserves in order to create what we call the Workforce Housing Initiative to ensure that there were units being built at a certain income tier in which um, for folks who weren't actually eligible for traditional government subsidized housing or weren't uh, or couldn't really afford to rent apartments in the marketplace. And so the residences at Brighton Marine, because of its mix of incomes, got to take advantage of that financing as well. And so we were very, very pleased to be part of this project with Wynn and with uh, the Brighton Marine folks. Gotcha. Okay, well, I mean, so it sounds like the partnership and both the, the affordability um, and the mix of incomes that were going to be served on the property were important pieces of you guys choosing to support the project. And then also, um, I guess, in when companies initially winning that request from Brighton Marine to develop the property with them, right? Um, so how did the concept for development start? Brighton Marine decided they have this building, they need to redevelop it. They was the natural response to use it for housing. They put out a request for proposals when companies was one of multiple companies to submit ideas. And was it because of this 100% um, target for veterans that you guys ultimately were chosen? Or was it your community presence? Or, you know, how or why did, um, I guess, the partnership and the, the concept evolve to what it is or what we know the residences at, Bright at Brighton Marines to be today? So, so I think I'd attribute it um, to a handful of factors. One is our is our track record. Like I said, um, we're one of the most prolific uh, developers of affordable housing in the country, um, and have been doing projects 
such as uh, the residences at Brighton Marine uh, for decades now. Um, I believe uh, the fact that we sought to restrict 100% of the units um, for veterans' preference uh, could have been another reason uh, that we were selected. Um, but um, but ultimately, it's it it may come. I think it comes down to our ability to strongly partner with groups such as Brighton Marine. Um, we often will either solicit partnerships or, or people will will uh, reach out to win just just based on its experience, um, you know, looking for uh, expertise or help uh, in, in implementing, uh, you know, a housing related idea. Um, and, and so we'll we'll work with partners such as Bright Marine or municipalities or nonprofits um, to take, you know, concepts and to bring it into reality. So I guess one question that comes to mind, and it'll probably be a pretty quick answer, but the project, obviously, because it's workforce housing, mass housing took an interest in it. Um, and I, I read a lot about the state's goals just in general to create these types of properties that are mixed income. Um, but did anything about the transit oriented design impact um, mass housing choosing to support the project? Or did that factor play into this decision making at all? Uh, sure. We, um, particularly in the city of Boston, before we created the workforce housing initiative, um, we had been hearing a lot of conversation, particularly in Boston and the surrounding communities, about how difficult it was uh, more and more for folks in a particular income range to be able to get access to housing. And so the fact that this is transit-oriented and has the workforce tier and the veterans part is a big part of um, why everyone supported this, not just mass housing, but the state supported it with financing as well. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so the last question I kind of have, and you both have touched on it, and you pretty well or answered it already, but the project meets the goals that the state kind of set to create more workforce housing. Um, but, and, and obviously when companies in Brighton Marine took it a step further and, you know, it sounds like served a larger share of incomes and also vulnerable or special populations like veterans. Um, but is it typical and how did we arrive at this, um, I guess, decision-making to not only meet the state's goals, but to, to uh, push it a step further and you know serve um, the special population, like how did you guys establish need? Well, you know, Win as a developer is, is very opportunistic. Um, you know, we're often working with with mass housing, with the state, with the city, on finding ways that we can utilize their resources uh, to improve um, projects. Uh, so when we first responded to the RFP. Um, we looked at including uh, market rate housing to help subsidize uh, the affordable units. Um, but when mass housing ended up rolling out the workforce housing initiative, uh, there we were the yeah I think one of the first gr groups to get in the line and and, and present uh, Brighton Marine the residences at Brighton Marine as a as a potential development opportunity. And as Crystal said, um, you know the 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 state and mass housing's goals and creating units um, 
with great proximity to to resources such as you know the educational institutions, healthcare, um, and doing it uh, you know at a, at a transit-oriented location made this project incredibly attractive um, in, in attracting uh, you know competitive resources um, at the state, local, and, and federal level. Gotcha. So competitive resources probably most importantly being funding. Um, so just to transition to that kind of discussion, Mass Housing supported the projects in several ways. Um, and I just want to clarify some of the funding that um, either is administered by Mass Housing or was directly contributed through Mass Housing to the project. You, missed, you mentioned the Workforce Housing um, Initiative funding, but what were the other funding? Um, the other funding was uh, the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, which is a state trust fund in which they invest in projects. It's a competitive resource as well. And then it was, a, as I described earlier, we're primarily a lender, and so there was a permanent loan as well as a bridge loan, which is really a loan to bridge to some takeout later on in the project. Gotcha. So okay, those were so the four sources that Mass Housing was involved in. Gotcha. Okay. I know um, our listeners will be somewhat familiar with like the Housing Trust Fund and how that works, but the workforce housing um, funding is unique to um, the state of Massachusetts. So just, I guess, first and foremost, how is that funding um, funded? You said it was, it came from, um, I, I forgot what you said, but you kind of uh, set aside extra funds that you guys have and made this kind of pot of money or what is what goes into funding this? Uh, that's a great question. So about, um, I don't know, five, six-ish years ago, five-ish years ago now, when, the, um, when Governor Baker came into office, one of the things that Mass Housing uh, talked about, or one of the things he talked to Mass Housing about was, you know, housing issues across the state, but really wanting to focus on, um, in addition to traditional affordable housing, how could we serve uh, what what we would describe as workforce or middle income. And so we, um, at the time, had some extra funds in our reserves and decided that we were going to create the Workforce Housing Initiative. As Drew was describing early on, um, the residences at Bright Marine was one of our uh, first projects to receive funding. Um, it is... It is, um, you know, when projects are ready and they need the funding, if we have some available, we put that to use. We've, we've, um, the goal was to do 1,000 units. We clearly hit that goal um, and do have some funds. And annually, we continue to use some of our um, profits to help fund this initiative. Okay. Well, also, both of you have mentioned kind of aligning um, both local funds and then maybe state level funds and federal funds to get projects like this done. So does that kind of just happen naturally and like on its own or do you at the state level or you as a developer take any extra steps to make sure you're not only maximizing those resources, but kind of to um, layer them and make sure like your ideas for the 
projects meet the local level priorities or that the state supported projects meet the local level priorities? Like what steps are taken to do that? Sure. Um, so like I said, the the resources at the state level and at the local level are, are very competitive um, and there's only a finite amount available for projects like this. Um, so it's our goal to make sure that when we're coming to Crystal or others um, for resources that we're able to, to promote um, all the great aspects of our potential project and how it meets the state or the city's uh, funding initiatives. Um, you know, for example, at Brighton Marine, um, we were able to, to talk about how it is going to serve a you know 100% veterans community, how it is you know, a 30 second walk to the green line, how it's going to have on-site services for residents, and it's going to be um, a, available to a mix of incomes, right? Uh, not just um, you know affordable to households, but also extremely low income households, all the way up to 120% of AMI, um, and those conversations. Are, are are very fluid. Um, we are were, we were beginning to have uh, conversations with the funding agencies upon our selection um, as the development partner with Brighton Marine. Um, and those conversations continue to take place as we went through the permitting process. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't be um, you know, a smart investment for mass housing or DHCD to, to award resources to a project that, that wasn't fully permitted. Uh, and and at, for this project in particular, it took an, an incredibly long time. Um, but, but once we did receive our permits um, from the city of Boston, uh, we, we quickly applied for uh, competitive resources to, to get this project started. That clarifies actually something for me. I was not completely aware of that the permits have to be in place before you can actually, um, like, with surety, secure funding. Sometimes you hear of like funding applications being pending until some of the stuff falls in place. But it would be the first step to get it passed at a city level, get permits going, and then to to try to secure funding and line up funding. Yeah, yeah one of the. Oh, sorry. Oh, you know, go ahead, Crystal. In Massachusetts, as Drew was saying, the resources are so competitive mm -hmm. that um, we don't really have the luxury of awarding projects funding and then waiting for them to be ready for that funding because there's always a project that is actually ready. And, um, and so we um, make sure that, uh, that projects are... Um, what we would call um you know shovel ready as much as possible before we actually give folks an award and usually awards from the state are the last award last pieces of funding one needs uh in before they get their perm and construction loan and so the state really does uh at dhcd in particular is what i'm saying they really do make sure that deals are ready. Projects like this, um, it, you're saying the state funding is one of the last sources in. Okay. And so how long does it typically, I know Drew, you mentioned that it takes a little bit longer to kind of like line up funding and this project took a, quite a long time, but how long do these kind of projects take? So I, I would I, I would describe uh, a bright marine is a, is a little bit of an outlier, but these projects can take a take a very long time to, to piece together. Um, 
you know, the, the timeline on Bright Marine uh, is such. So in 2013, they issued the RFP. Uh, in 2014, Wynn was selected and began the permitting process with the city of Boston. Um, we didn't receive all of our approvals until uh, the end of 2016, um, at which point in time we could now advance um, applications for the competitive state and city funds. Um, and we, we secured those resources in, in 2017 and then broke ground in 2018. So from uh, concept at, uh, you know, our partners at Brighton Marine all the way through to today when we're about to convert on, on the mass housing permanent loan, we're talking about seven plus years. Um, a unique feature about the residences at Bright Marine that we haven't talked about uh, that was um, that is a, is unique and therefore um, adds extra time in terms of the process is that there are several buildings. I don't know if I have this right, Drew. That are historic. And, That's right. There's there's and, four and for, buildings on site. Yeah, and so that becomes um, you know another layer of approvals that projects don't all have. And so that, 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 that's part of why this one took a little longer than others. But are you, when you're saying stuff like that, is it at a city level that you would have to get um, permission or I guess approval to kind of um, reuse these buildings or reuse the space or? So at, uh, what, what Crystal was describing was in, in the state of Massachusetts, um, projects that are receiving uh, state funds have to receive approval um, from the Massachusetts Historical Commission that uh, the project itself will have no adverse effect on uh, potential historic resources. Um, so the city was very supportive, the neighborhood was very supportive of this project, um, which, which had anticipated tearing down three of the four existing buildings um, on this project site. Um, Mass, the Mass Historic Commission sought to, to find ways to preserve the buildings. And ultimately, um, what we ended up doing was we used this, this giant, um, you know, almost crane, and we, we lifted one of the existing two-story brick structures on a, on a flatbed, and we moved it through the Brighton Marine campus, um, and it now serves as a, as a you know, a, an additional resource center um, for the for the veterans that they they um, they work with on a daily basis. Um, and then we left one of the buildings in place, uh, and like I said, that has a, a really cool two bedroom unit on the second floor and residence space on the first floor. Um, so that 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 final permit, that final approval. Um, you know, delayed the project by, you know, 12, roughly 12 to, to 16 months. Gotcha. And so um, one thing, and I, I don't know if you guys said it explicitly, but the city of Boston itself has affordability requirements, like I guess for any developments that are um, built within the city limits. And so this project probably goes beyond that. Um, the state and for the different financing that the state awards, they have their own affordability requirements and minimum. So how did this project go beyond the requirements? We've already touched on the 100% are actually targeted toward veterans and it's actually a mix of income. So not only extremely low-income units and not only workforce housing, um, but some market rate to kind of offset those 
the cost of those units. Um, but how did this project go beyond what the city requires of, you know, just every development? So the city of Boston has what's called their inclusionary development policy. And that requires that um, roughly 13% of, you know, the total units created in a project are, are income restricted um, for households up to 70% of area median income. Um, this project wasn't uh, subject to those regulations because we had always sought to, to preserve um, well beyond that 13%. Um, like I said, 100% of this building is income restricted across a range of incomes. Um, and uh, the way that the program works is you can either create units in your building, uh, you can identify a, a local project to make a financial contribution to, to offset your obligations, or you can make a financial contribution to uh, the Department of Neighborhood Development, um, which is uh, the city agency that administers the program. And the city will, through its annual competitive funding rounds, will award resources. Um, so the residences of Bright Marine actually benefited uh, from a, a subordinate loan uh, through the inclusionary development program. Gotcha, okay. So my last question kind of to round up financing, I know you guys have done a great uh, you know, job of explaining kind of the state process and what would come first and kind of what would come second. So how is the process for securing these public funding either at a local or state or federal level different from securing private sources or gap funds? I know the Home Depot Foundation supported the project, um, but it was my understanding that they were kind of one of the last in two. So how's the process for securing public funds different from private sources? Um, I think, you know, Crystal touched on it, right? So there's there's great competition for, for public resources. Um, and so those applications and the review processes are, are very extensive. Um, you know, we typically work with uh, organizations such as the Home Depot Foundation um, and other private gap resources uh, to attribute, you know, unforeseen conditions or um, maybe some construction escalation after, um, you know, the, the city and state agencies have already made their funding awards. Um, so, so while those, those resources are, are smaller in amount, uh, they're still incredibly important for project financial feasibility. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, to bring Crystal back in on the conversation, our, and you all have done a great job of kind of explaining the process and how long some of this stuff can take, and then kind of what comes first and second. Um, are there any points that you guys can see um, from either the state level or from a developer perspective that could be improved or kind of um, fleshed out a little bit better, I guess, to make projects like this easier to deliver quicker, more quickly? Um, you know, I think, um, you know, one suggestion would be um, in the state of Massachusetts, we have uh, competitive funding rounds uh, once per year. Um, mass housing's resources are available on a on an ongoing basis, which makes them such a great partner to work with. Um, but I think, you know, if we were to expand that purview to some of our other financing partners on this project, um, if, if they broke up those those competitive rounds, you know, either two or three times a year, it would allow a project to apply more frequently um, and not have to wait uh, 12 months um, if it were to, to be rejected uh, initial application. 
I mean, that makes sense because you, you're saying lining up some of the permits and stuff on the local level, and then it would be kind of um, a waste of time if you had to wait until the next calendar year to reapply, or if you were denied in the first application for something that was changed, maybe. Um, so that makes sense. And then how about at the state level, Crystal, can you see any points that would make this process smoother, quicker? Well, in the city of Boston, I guess in particular, um, the funding is sequential. And mm -hmm. so in order to apply for state resources, you have to have a commitment of local resources. And mm -hmm. so if there was some way to have them be concurrent, um, that could help move things along as well. I think you guys have touched pretty well too on how local level like planning and development kind of gets involved in projects and how they facilitate or kind of encourage this type of development, maybe by putting um, local restrictions in place or affordability requirements. Um, is there anything that you want to add to that point? I will say um, the, the state of Massachusetts has done, I think, uh, a great job in terms of trying to make things a little more streamlined. We have a common application that, you know, everybody accepts and have had that for at least 20, 25 years. We have um, a common set of loan documents that um, funders, all the funders use mostly. Um, and so there are, there are things in which we recognize that there are deals like this require a lot of different funding sources. And, and we're all in the same deals at the same time. And so we recognize that we've tried to, we, we've tried to do some things to streamline those processes. Um, but, you know, there's always room for improvement. Okay, so obviously COVID has highlighted housing issues, equity issues, accessibility issues. Um, and this project's already so cool and unique because of the workforce element and then also the mix of incomes, it being right on a transit line, obviously in one of the most expensive cities in the country. It's just an awesome project all around. Um, so I guess for other communities and even within Boston and Massachusetts, why should projects like this become more of a priority or a staple moving forward? Besides the obvious, obviously. The obvious is actually a really good reason why. Um, <laughs> I don't think we need to come up with more reasons. We need to come up with more projects like this. Um, and maybe not all of the elements, uh, but definitely the mixed income part of it. Uh, and the more we can do that in their transit locations, that would be uh, that would be great. And I I um. Yeah, I, I don't think we need to have additional reasons to do this. I think these deals are hard to do and hard to put together. Um, but even in a community like Boston, uh, as Drew was describing, in which the, the local officials were very supportive, the neighbors were very supportive, it still took, you know, two, three years to get through a permitting process. And so... Um, the more welcoming a community is as a whole to projects like this, the more projects like this would likely get done. To, to add to that point, right, you, you know, when when we talk about, you know, the, the pre-development period, 
for every year that goes by, you're talking about, you know, construction escalation, increased cost, and, you know, those prices go up much faster than, than Crystal's pot of money or the state's pot of money. So resources aren't able to keep up with, uh, you know, with the nature of, of, of what's being built. Um, and so that, that ultimately reduces the number of units that are being constructed, uh, the number of projects that can get done, um, you know, so, 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 you know, trying to, to, to trim down on, on the permitting side, um, you know, the, the governor uh, and local officials and the city of Boston are, are working hard uh, to do that. Um, and, and I think expanding at the same time, the amount of resources for projects like this, um, you know, prior to creating the workforce housing initiative, um, you know, middle income families, they either need to move to less desirable, cheaper apartment units or to flee neighborhoods altogether for less expensive communities. Now with uh, mass housing's resources, we're able to help people stay in their communities to, to live in a location that has great access to transit, uh, healthcare, education, jobs, um, and, and I think expanding on that program uh, can only benefit the Commonwealth and in other cities and states um, if, if they so choose to, to, do, to fund a similar program. Wow, that was an amazing interview, right? And it literally feels like you are almost living the experience with them. The property serves homeless veterans, veterans with extremely low incomes, but also veterans who may be one step beyond this point. The developers were able to utilize funding from the Workforce Housing um, Fund created by the state of Massachusetts to ultimately serve a greater range of incomes. And I personally think multiple states need to be considering funding Link Massachusetts in order to further support developments like Bright Marine. By hearing about this development from concept to completion, you almost feel the entirety of the process. And what is so amazing is that you can have this property and have these ideas Yet you still need to get city level approval and the okay to do what you want to do on your own property. As this series starts to wind down and wrap up, I want to talk about what sort of valuation you have to go through at the city level to get your developments passed. The regulatory agency that controls the shape of communities is often the planning and development department. And the planning and development department may not be the final decision makers, but they are the facilitators for all types of development. So we need to be considering ways to work better as funders, developers, um, and local level planning and development departments to get projects like this passed more easily and quickly. So there's a couple of ideas I want to discuss in closing. The first one around financing. So typically we hear this idea of financing before approval. In this episode, we hear about the flip. It's approval and then finance. And it's a very interesting concept. And I really think the state's doing everything they can to try to smooth out that process. With the Brighton Marine project, they actually had to go through local level approvals first before they could even apply for funding. Um, so I think it's definitely something states should consider, especially if they're, you know, multiple projects in the works and it's very competitive to um, sort of secure that funding. This is a way to make sure projects that are awarded funds are ready to go. And um, we also heard Crystal from Mass Housing speak about the mass application the state created to where developers can actually apply for multiple level funding source or multiple funding sources at the state level. 
in one go round. So I think multiple states need to be considering this. One of the hardest portions of affordable housing and the development process is aligning all your funding and doing multiple rounds of applications. So by having this one mass application and allowing developers to apply to multiple sources at one time, it makes that whole process way easier. Another concept I want to leave you guys with is this idea of geographic locality. Do we want to see more funding being directed at cities with the most people and the highest demands that, you know, maybe are the most dense? Or do we want to have this element of fairness, which means funding is divided up more evenly and spread throughout the state, not as focused in these dense areas? We do have a say in this process. Once a year, the state will open a public comment period for multiple uh, of their funding sources and allow the public to kind of explain what they want to see more of and less of and where they think the state could be doing better to support developments like this. So it's definitely something we should be thinking about. The last concept I want to kind of touch on is this idea of community development. Um, This concept that each project plays a part in making up the whole community is something we really need to be considering. Obviously, we want our priorities to be addressed and we just need to realize that we might need to bend our plans a little bit to better mesh with the goals of the locality. Obviously, we want all veterans to be housed, but how do we do this within the goals of each city, state, county? This project was ultimately able to come to fruition because it saw the opportunity to utilize additional funding and serve a wider range of veterans. Um, Lastly, planning and development departments, they may be more concerned with things like density, plan size, square footage, you know, unit counts, parking, construction materials, stuff like that. But we must have the funding in place and available to support projects as they try to meet more rigid requirements of local planning and permitting departments. I definitely think Boston and the state of Massachusetts as a whole is trying stuff and really forging a path we all need to follow. Just want to thank you guys so much for joining us this week. If you're curious about this episode or want to learn more about the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, visit nchv.org or search NCHV on social media. The road home may be a long and winding one. However, the journey ends once every veteran has a permanent stable and affordable place to call home. Thank you again and see you all next week.